Welcome to church, everybody. I can't believe it. Let me start off tonight with a story. Elisha Otis. You might even recognize that last name, Otis. He was an inventor. And uh, he actually, you've probably ridden in an Otis elevator. Yeah? Elisha Otis was invited to the World's Fair in 1853 to show and sell his elevator brake. In the mid-1800s, only a few buildings in America were tall enough to require an elevator, but few people rode them because they were too afraid to ride And because of the fear of the people and the lack of use of an elevator, people were only building the buildings five stories tall so that they didn't have to put in an elevator. Well, if you're in the elevator business, like Elisha Otis was, that's not good for business. He needed to figure out a way to convince people the elevators were safe So he pulled off a sales stunt to the likes that nobody had ever seen before. At the World's Fair, inside the actual building of the World's Fair, he built an elevator and he went up in it. And I have a picture of him and the elevator that he built that he was in. He goes up in the elevator and he had an assistant down on the ground with an axe. And at his signal, his assistant would chop the rope with the axe and the elevator would begin to free fall. <laughs> and he wanted to show off his brand new elevator brake. His assistant cut the rope and he began to fall. Halfway down, he engaged his elevator brake and the elevator came to a stop. Because of his invention and his unique sales pitch, people were convinced that elevators were safe. These elevators quickly became the type in most common usage and helped make present-day skyscrapers possible. By the end of 1800, there were hundreds of of brand new skyscrapers in New York City alone. We still ride an Otis elevator today. And I believe that God works with us, works with us just like this. That God wants to do something in your life and even at times will do something in your life that is wild and crazy and scary to prove that he is God And that he can do anything. And we'll go through an experience like this and we'll stop and think to ourselves, I cannot believe it. Elisha Otis put himself in a position with no options. He was either going to survive this sales pitch and become successful. Or he was going to fall and injure himself and at worst kill himself. And then become completely unsuccessful. He gave himself one way. One way. That was it. This was either going to be great or this was going to be horrible. One way. And it really falls in line with how the father 
has called to us today that there really is only one way to him, and that's through his son, Jesus. There's only one way. John 14, verse 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way of doing this. And Jesus will take us on the direction of our life, and his desire is there would be only one way for our life to be lived. And his way is much greater than our way. His way has no plan B. It's his way or the highway, right, church? And Gideon's army went from 32,000 soldiers to just 300 men, and they still won the battle. Judges 7, verse 7 reads as follows. The Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. And and we know the story, but I'll tell it to you really quickly. Essentially, they have been windling down through Gideon's like, Hey, if you're too afraid, go ahead and go home. And just thousands left, you know. There's some thousands left over. They go to the riverbank and they get drink. He just instructs every soldier just to get some water. And those that put their face in the water were sent home. But those that kept their head up and brought their hand to their mouth to keep, why, why? They're looking over the horizon. Is the enemy coming? I'm prepared. I'm prepared. But if you just put your face in the water, you know, you could be sabotaged. There's a there's chance for sabotage and, and a sneak attack. And so the Lord says, Keep the men who who brought the water up to their mouth from their hand. And it's only 300 men. So he sends all the others home. And I want to say this tonight. That your thoughts about God are vitally and I dare say extremely important for the outcome of your life. What you think about God determines your life. Let me share another story with you. This is a true story of a teacher who split the class in half, gave the right side of the classroom a different exam than the left side of the classroom. But the students didn't know it. Very simple exam that she gave them. All the students were put before them a piece of paper with three scrambled words. It said number one, and it had a scrambled word, number two with the scrambled word, number three with the scrambled word. But the students didn't know that the right side of the room had different words than the left side of the room. She told the class, I want you just to solve the first scrambled word. I'm going to give you one minute to solve this word, and when you have it solved, just raise your hand as soon as it's done. Even if you get it, it takes you two seconds, just raise your hand when you're done. The right side of the room had an extremely simple word to unscramble. As a matter of fact, the word she gave them was tab. Bat. I can make a word out of that. The left side of the room was given an impossible word to unscramble. It wasn't a word at all. The letters did not make a word. They didn't know that. They didn't know they had different words. On your mark, get set, go. Seconds into the first word, the right side of the room, hands are going up. Finished, 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 finished. The left side of the room is still staring at their word. 
thinking to themselves, how have they gotten this figured out so fast? They're confused. They're starting to get frustrated. One minute is over. Every single person on the right side of the room is finished, but every single person on the left side of the room has failed. All right, teacher says, it's okay. Let's do the second word. Second word, same thing. A little bit harder for the right side of the room, but possible. Left side of the room, once again, letters that don't even make a word. On your mark, get set, go. 20 seconds in, right side of the room, hands start going up. Almost every student finishes on the right side of the room, whereas the left side of the room, nobody raises their hand. And you can actually see the confidence begin to go way down to the left side of the room. They're starting to doubt themselves. They're starting to think, I, I, I'm, I'm dumb. What's wrong with me? They're competitive, but they can't win. They're getting frustrated. Teacher says, stop. All right, third one. This is where it gets weird. Not weird, but everybody now has the exact same word. Raise your hand when you're done. Right side of the room attacks the third word with confidence, with, with intensity, with joy to figure out the third word because they've had success with the first two. A few seconds into the third word, the right side of the room, hands start going up. But guess what's happening to the left side of the room? They've lost their confidence. They're doubting themselves. They've told themselves, they must be, I must be stupid. What's wrong with me? Barely anybody on the left side of the room can figure out the word, but the right side of the room, many hands going up right away. Almost all the hands go up on the right side of the room. Students now are divided. You can tell there's, there's almost, there's tens of frustration on the left side of the room. They're, they're, they're mad at themselves. They're mad at the other side of the room because they're figuring it out. And the right side of the room is, is, is arrogant, excited, smiling. Ah, I'm so smart. Then she reveals to the class what she's done. And she says, this experiment proves that what you think and feel about yourself affects how you live your life. She goes, I gave you an impossible word. You could never figure it out. It wasn't a word at all. And I want to let you know right now that what you think about God what he think, what you what you think? Maybe what God thinks about you. God, what are God's thoughts towards you? What do you think God's thoughts are towards you? Do you think He's angry at you today? Because if you think God is angry at you today, you're going to behave a certain way, aren't you? If you think God is excited about your life and has spoken positive things over your life, you're going to live differently based upon what you think God's thoughts are towards you. And I would prove to you today, and I can confidently say today. That your experiences with God and your thoughts about God will affect your everyday life. Let's read on Judges chapter 7 verses 9 through 15. That night the Lord said, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp. For I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So he's, God's giving Gideon a, an option here. 
You go down and attack right now. You're going to have victory. But if you're doubting me, I'm gonna, I'm, you go down there and just listen in to what the enemy's saying. See, sometimes God speaks to us and says, you are a mighty warrior. But you go, I don't know, God. I don't know about that, God. Well, if you don't know if I'm telling the truth or not, here, I'm going to put you in a situation where you'll, it'll prove I'm right. God will do that with us. God's doing that with Gideon right now. So let's continue reading. Verse 11 ends with this. So Gideon took Pur and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And I want to encourage you and say today, if you could only hear what the enemy is saying, you would be bolder. The The enemy is terrified of you. He sees you as God sees you. He does. If you could only hear the truth to what the enemy thinks about you, you would be bolder. And if we could only hear what God is saying about us and really believe it, we would be bolder still. You see, Gideon had an option to believe God at the beginning, to say, you go down into the camp right now, you've got victory. And Gideon could have said, all right, let's go. But he could say there was the seed of doubt within him. He didn't believe it. So God is gracious enough to give Gideon this wonderful experience to listen into the secrets of the enemy. And it turns out the enemy tells truth when it's talking to the enemies of the, the enemies of the enemies of the enemies, right? When the enemies talk amongst themselves, they are talking truth. When the demons talk to each other, they talk about how powerful Jesus is. When they talk to you, they lie to you about how powerful Jesus is. They know their fate. They hate where they're at. They lie to you to get you down there with them. If we could only hear the truth to what the enemy says about us, we would be much bolder. Mark chapter 8, verses 16 and 21 says this, and at this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? 12, they said. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. Jesus, God, they, 
He desperately wants us to truly understand what he is saying to us, what he is speaking to us. If we would only read the scriptures and truly believe them, we would be different people. But what we do is we read them and we go, that's awesome. I'm just not sure if it's going to work for me. And Jesus is still saying this, man, you have ears, but can't you hear? You've got eyes, but you aren't seeing. Hmm. But Gideon is starting to understand. Can you say, it's like, right? When he was down on that threshing floor, threshing the wheat in the secrecy because he's scared of the enemy, the angel approaches him and is like, mighty warrior. And he's like, you got the wrong guy. You talk, there's somebody behind me that I don't know that's here, right? Who's, who's behind me? Who are you talking to? You're me? No. But Gideon is starting to understand how God sees him and how God sees the, his people, his children. He's starting to understand. He is starting to understand that God is speaking and his words are different. And Gideon gets another opportunity to pass the test. He didn't pass the test the first time. Mighty warrior, not me, didn't pass the test. You will have victory. I don't know. Didn't pass the test. If we get it here another time, Gideon gets another opportunity to pass this test. Let's read it in Judges 8, verses 4 through 6. Gideon then crossed the Jordan River with his 300 men, and though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. When they reached Succoth, Gideon asked the leaders of the town, please give my warriors some food. They are very tired. I am chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth replied, catch Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we will feed your army. Let me describe what's happening here. As Gideon hears the response of the leaders of Succoth, but also at the exact same time, he's hearing God, and he responds to the Succoth leaders according to the word of God. We'll read it in a minute. And I want to encourage you that when you respond to life according to God's word, you live life with purpose, Mission and vision. He's, uh, he has approached his allies. Give my war- 300 warriors some food so that we may have energy. And they disrespect them so much. The leaders of Sukkoth, wicked evil men. Intimidating. That response is intimidating. Can you please give us some food? We're fighting the battle of our lives. There's only 300 of us. We've done so many. We've killed thousands. We've just we've got two more to take down. Could you help us out? And the response from the Sukkoth leaders is a response from the enemy. And it could have intimidated Gideon. And it could have desponded Gideon. It could have discouraged him. He could have said, oh, you're <sighs> okay. But he had something deeper planted on the inside of him. But when you respond to life, because I said, when you respond to life according to God's word, you live with purpose, mission, and vision. But when you respond to life according to the enemy's words, you live life aimless, insecure, and fearful. And we're going to see here that Gideon's response to these jerks from Sukkoth is not insecure, 
is not aimless and is not fearful. He's got the word of God on the inside of him. And yeah, people are intimidating, aren't they? Hey, could you do me a favor? No. Okay. That's essentially what Gideon is saying here. Could you do me a favor? No. No, I'm not. You're, you're, You're pathetic. Oh. So we see here that Gideon, you're going to see here from this response that Gideon is only listening to God now. And his response to the officials of Succoth is found in Judges chapter 8, verse 7. So Gideon said, After the Lord gives me victory over Zeba and Zalmuma, I will return to your flesh with the thorns, and <laughs> I will return and tear your flesh with the thorns and briars from the wilderness. That's a response of a man of God. Not some little sissy that happened to be just a chapter earlier in the threshing floor. Earlier, he would have been like, okay, I'm sorry. But he's listening to men speak to him, and God is saying something else inside his head. Isn't As the men are talking, God is saying, you're going to go kill those two men, and you're going to come back, and you're going to give it to these guys too. And he responds from the word of God, doesn't he? The best direction for your life is to hear what God wants you to do. So that when you come up against an enemy, they're like a barking dog and you're a train. A train does not stop for a barking dog. See ya. Don't get too close. You might get hurt. I'm off. You see, you see, this is how God wants us to be. This is how God wants us to go. And the enemy knows how big and great you are. They can bark, but you're, they understand that you're a train coming on the track. And they better not get too close. This is how we are seen by the enemy. This is how God sees us. Hmm. Is this good stuff or what? So Gideon catches Zeba and Zalmunna without the help of the Succoth leaders. <laughs> Suck off. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it really feels like I'm saying a bad word. Doesn't it? But I'm not. He catches up to Zeba. He catches up to Zalmuna. And this is what his interaction is with those two guys. Judges 8, verses 18 through 21. Then Gideon asked Zeba and Zalmuna, The men you killed at Tabar, what were they like? Like you, they replied. Well, they all had the look of a king's son. So now Gideon looks like a king's son. Oh, he's a changed man. That's a, that's a, the enemy spoke truth. Listen, if you could understand how the enemy sees you, you'd be much bolder. Man, the enemy sees you and God sees you the same way. But the enemy lies to you. If you could only hear what God thinks about you, you wouldn't believe it. God sees the men as king's sons. God sees the women as princess warriors. 
Amen? Verse 19. Let's continue on because I only read verse 18 there. Verse 19 continues on. It says, They were my brothers, the sons of my own mother, Gideon exclaimed. As surely as the Lord lives, I wouldn't kill you if you hadn't killed them. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword, for he was only a boy and was afraid. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said to Gideon, be a man. Kill us yourself. So Gideon killed them both and took the royal ornaments from the necks of their camels. Jether, Gideon's son, doesn't see himself as his father sees him. You see, Gideon now is in a position to begin to pull people higher. Do you think Gideon earlier in the story would have ever commanded his young boy named Jether to kill some men, some mighty men of God, some mighty men, warriors? He is so full of faith and energy and vigor that he is now calling his boy up to a higher level. He's now calling a boy to be a man. He sees his son as something that his son doesn't even see in himself yet. He's now turning into somebody who's creating leaders and trying to speak into that which has not yet been born or that which has not yet been conceived within his son, Jether. Jether doesn't see it in himself yet, so he doesn't, he doesn't attack. He doesn't raise his sword. But Gideon sees something in his son that his son doesn't even see in himself yet. So now Gideon is starting to reproduce what God has produced in him. Can you believe it? Isn't that good? It's time we see ourselves as God sees us. And you know, I want to encourage you even here tonight. You know, Jethro was... His, the boy was walking with the man of God. But just because Jethro was walking with the man of God doesn't mean that he was catching everything that was inside Gideon. But Jethro needs to begin to have his own experiences to become a man of God. And just because you're walking with the man of God doesn't really mean that you personally are the man of God too. But you've got to begin to fight your own battles. And we say this all the time, you know, just because your mama was saved doesn't mean you're saved. Just because your, your, your friend is a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God, just because they're a prayer warrior or a princess warrior, you've got to become one yourself. Let's not get lulled into this trap that just because I'm next to a man of God means that I'm good too. But that's, that's not it at all. Because you've got to learn to fight your own battles. You've got to learn to become a man or a woman of God too. Amen, church? There have been times even in my own life, in my ministries, where God has told me to do something in my ministry. His voice was so strong, his direction was so strong, that it was absolutely no use for me to get anybody else's opinions or ideas too. I was resolute, set. God has told me to do this. I'm doing it. You're either coming or you're not. I don't know what to tell you. 
I'm gonna, I'm, everybody's invited. And I'm going. Hop on the train. It's a moving. Not everybody hops on the train. But when you've heard from God, the train gets a moving. The leader gets a going. And you can either hop on and go and enjoy the ride, or you can not, you can watch the train slowly pull away. There's still a chance to get on. But I don't know if I like this idea, Pastor Lucas. I don't know if I want the ministry to go this way, Pastor Lucas. See ya. I heard from God. I don't know what to tell you. I cannot be convinced to do anything else. There's been times this happened in my ministries. Hmm. It's very possible that you can be at church, but never really hear the voice of God for your life. You could be here physically, but your heart is constantly hearing the lies of the enemy and you're paralyzed with fears. Ezekiel 8 verse 16 says this, Then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple. At the entrance to the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar, there were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. They are facing east, bowing low to the ground, worshiping the sun. 25 men in church, backs to the sanctuary, worshiping to the east towards the sun. In church, but not focused on God. In church, but far from what they really should be doing. This breaks the heart of God. This breaks the heart of Ezekiel. In church, but worshiping the wrong things. God is looking and searching for men and women of God to hear from God and move forward with strength. When men and women hear from God and move forward, the church is strong. Look at what happens when men and women of God answer the call of God. Look at what happens with with Gideon here. Look at what happens when a man or a woman of God says yes to God and ignores everybody else, including sometimes the people that should be on your side. Succoth. I like that their name is Succoth. As a preacher, I've got gold over here, folks. You can't make this stuff up. There should be people on your side. But how do you respond to them when you find out they're not on your side? But look at what happens to Gideon. Judges 8 verse 22. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers for you have rescued us from Midian. Man, look at what happens when a man or woman of God says yes to God. The people rejoice. The people rejoice. God desires to do the I can't believe it with your life. Five things happen here in this short story of Gideon. Gideon couldn't believe what God was doing. These are his can't believe it moments for Gideon. Gideon couldn't believe what God was doing, taking 32,000 men down to 300. He couldn't believe it. God couldn't believe what the enemy was saying. That a loaf of bread was going to roll down, roll down the hill and destroy the Midianites. Gideon couldn't believe what the enemy was saying. Gideon couldn't believe how the enemy sees him. Number four, Gideon couldn't believe the man he had become. 
Can you believe it, folks? Get in. Number five, the last thing here. Get in. Couldn't believe the promotion that people wanted to give him. Couldn't believe it. All these things of, of unbelievable things happening. I want to end tonight with a video, a testimony video of a man named Nick Vujicic. This is an I can't believe it experience. You guys ready for this? Take a look. It's about five minutes. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, He answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. (laughs) And no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it. It changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power. It was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. That was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide evangelist. broken pieces until you give God your broken pieces. And I want you to know when you fall down, God's grace is sufficient. God's hand will come down and pick you up and give you the strength to get back up. In the first seven years of ministry, God opened up doors for me to speak 2,000 times across 44 countries on six continents, from university campuses, 40,000 students in China, to India, where we're talking to sex slaves, to crowds in the jungle of India, 110,000 people, down to Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia, to speaking at congresses of nations like Colombia and Costa Rica, where you see the leaders 
leaders of that nation commit that country to the Lord Jesus. To Korea and speaking to the next generation about depression and suicide and to Eastern Europe where we did Serbia, Slovenia and Croatia. And then doors in the Middle East, the message of hope was spread throughout the whole Arab world. That is God. And we know we've just begun. By the grace of God, we have seen face-to-face a half a million souls say yes to Jesus and be plugged into a local church. As crazy as it sounds, our goal at Life Without Limbs Ministry is to preach to every single soul on the planet. 7 billion people. We believe that this goal is possible as the Holy Spirit is gathering an army and building up supporters to send us and accomplish this mission. Can can you believe it? You know how he's married with children? You know what God can do with your life. Now listen. You might have thought you had some insecurities and some things. Yeah, I can't. I don't know if I can do that. Listen, if a guy with no arms and legs can go to 44 countries, you can do something for the Lord. What's your excuse? The truth is you have no excuses. You've got full brain capacity. You've got arms and legs. That's all you need. You've got no excuses. You know, having a child born with special needs, she's got excuses. You, me, I got no excuses. So am I going to spend my days wallowing in self-pity, wondering why I'm so pathetic and weak and unable to do something for God? Or am I going to hear the voice of God for my life and say, I got two arms, two legs, and a voice, and a working brain at complete 100% full capacity. I'm going to do something for the Lord. Amen, church? Can you believe it? The Lord really wants to do something awesome with your life. Just hear what God says about you. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be done. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the word that has been spoken. And I pray that it was like arrows that went real deep inside their heart and just begin to give them faith and an encouragement and a vision and a purpose to their life. Lord, we don't have any excuses, and I don't want to spend my days giving you excuses when you've called me a mighty warrior. And Lord God, you call all of us in here mighty warriors, and we say, I believe you, God. And everybody said, amen. You're dismissed. See you next week.